Hello everybody and welcome to the Premier League Fan Podcast. Uh, we've got a lot to get through today with all the manager sackings and the unrealistic score lines and obviously our old favourite VAR. So I will keep this short and sweet. Uh, but as always this Premier League Fan Podcast is recorded live and unscripted and may contain some language and topics that some people might not find appropriate. Um, to join in the conversation as always you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at PL Fan Podcast. And if you want to get involved in the conversation, then please send us a quick email. It is plfanpod at gmail.com. Anyway, we're going to get straight to it, get the boys in, and welcome to the Premier League Fan Podcast. Hello, welcome to the Premier League Fan Podcast. Thank you for joining us this week. Um, we are joined by the usual guys. Uh, we are our resident gunner, Joe Rangers, with us. Hi, Joe. How are you? Hello, hello. I am well. Good, good. We've got the Red Devil, Troy. How are you? Hello, Chris. I'm on cloud nine. You're on cloud wow. nine. Wow. And joining us for making a special appearance this week is uh, our resident Liverpool fan who comes in every now and again. It is Reese. How are you, Reese? Hello. Yeah, I think I think I might have picked the worst possible week to uh, to come join you, to be honest. Well, uh, please well, be here. You, you, contracted, you, you contractually ab- agreed to this. Yeah. Uh, after after a Liverpool win, so unfortunately you can't yeah. back out. So <laughs> he normally appears when Liverpool are doing well. So yeah, exactly. Um, Tom's not with us this week. Uh, Tom, Tom is uh, somewhat disposed, and obviously Aston Villa haven't been winning, so Luke is not with us. Um, my name is Chris. I am the diplomat who is going to try and control the debating and try not to argue uh, to keep the arguments to a minimum. But it has been a real t- it's been a it's been a two weeks where so much has gone on. So much has gone on. I, I, I can't even make small talk with you today, guys. I know we've done one minute, 28 worth of small talk, but we are going to have to get straight into it. So we're going to cut the crap and we're going to move straight into what in, into the headlines. Is that I mean, has anybody got any nonsense that you want to spill before I move on or no? Cue the music. We'll go straight in. Cue the music. <laughs> Cue the music. Okay, so obviously massive amounts has happened. Um, we're going to talk about first off, um, probably that, <laughs> amazingly enough, probably the, the the most dull thing that's happened in the last two weeks, which is um, the closure of the deadline. Uh, transfer deadline which is incredible really you know it's it's, it's it's the time of year that every football fan looks forward to and in a podcast full of uh, football fan debating shows you'd expect it to be the prime topic but yeah not not a lot happened um, uh, a couple a couple of big names that came in on deadline day a few few things that people want to talk about um, obviously Liverpool's defensive uh, woes continue Jordan Henderson's been doing a fantastic job, but Reese, uh, obviously one of the main reasons you're with us today uh, is we, we want to get your opinion on the two names that came in on deadline day. Were you happy with the two names that was that that, that joined Anfield? Well, uh, yes and no. So um, Ozan Kabak, the the chap from Schalke, 
he's been on the radar um, for Liverpool since, or well, the first time I heard his name was the summer transfer window last year. Um, so he's been on the radar for a little while. He'd won Rookie of the Year at Schalke last season um, in the Bundesliga. So, you know, his name had been popping up. And so that was always likely to happen. I think Liverpool inquired about him um, during the summer transfer window and Schalke wanted somewhere in the region of 25 million. Liverpool weren't prepared to pay it. Um, so they said, thank you very much. Carry on. Been on Klopp's uh, radar for a while, though, isn't it, Reese? Sorry to interrupt, but um, obviously Klopp's got a friendship with uh, David Wagner, who is the manager um, who, who, who has previously managed the player um, and had good things to say. So, um, yeah, as you said, been on the radar for a while. If, 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 he's, if they've been on the radar for a while, what do you think took so long to get this over the line? Well, like I say, they wanted too much money initially, 25 million. They weren't having that. He's, he was 19 years old at the time. Um, and we had we had other options. Um, so, you know, you look at what's changed. Obviously, Liverpool have no senior recognised centre-backs. Um, and also, we're privileged by the fact that Schalke are stone bottom of the Bundesliga. Um, they've got the worst defensive record. And so... Kabak's value plummeted, um, which is why we were able to get him in um, with such a good deal. It's also why it raised so many eyebrows, because why would we be bringing in a player who is part of the team with the worst defensive record in the Bundesliga? But the hope is that he's just got a shocking team around him and with a better group of players around him, he'll be able to get lifted up to the level where... um, well, Liverpool fans at least think that he, he might be able to get to. Um, and obviously Ben Davis as well coming in uh, on on the last on the last day. Uh, another great signing, obviously uh, Preston North End centre back, linked with a number of clubs, and it was he was the, the deal was pretty much done with Celtic um, until Liverpool came knocking. Great deal there. Um, have, you, have, you, have you heard much about Ben Davis? Because it sort of came out the blue. What, what was your great opinion deal? on that? I I think he's from someone. What makes you say it's a great deal, Chris? From someone who watches Championship football like myself, Troy, I've seen good things. I have seen good things, and actually, uh, Ben Davis was a name that AFC Bournemouth were linked with not too long ago. So I know I know when that name was floating around the Bournemouth fan base, they were very happy. Obviously, completely different levels of football. I completely get that. Um, but I think potentially, and this is this is this is where this is where I feel it's going to be a good sign. This Klopp has the tact Klopp has the knack of taking players and developing them and I think a player like Ben Davis potentially and obviously it could all go tits up Troy before you put your negative spike into the podcast but (laughs) but potentially it could be a fantastic fantastic deal because it's profit yes I mean isn't it the same story at Preston though because Schalke have got one of the worst defensive records in their league. Preston's defensive record isn't great either. So if I could if I could say something here, I think the the hope is, and it, and it is a hope, you know, it's not guaranteed by any means, but the hope is that you end up with a situation like Gina Wijnaldum, like Andy Robertson, where you've plucked a player who has been in a who's been a shocking team. Um, and has shown flashes of brilliance, but nowhere near consistently enough. And then you use Klopp's, you know, man management skills to 
bring them up to a level where they can perform consistently in the Premier League. That's the hope. I'm not saying that will happen. No, there, there, there are just as many misses as there are hits. They're not all going to be Robertsons and Wine Aldums. Um, but but Klopp has Klopp has the track record, and I think that's where it could be quite exciting. He's got the track record of developing young players. You know, the goalkeeper that was in goal last night for them. What was what's his name? I can't even remember his name. Women Kelleher. Kelleher, Kelleher, that's the one. But again, fantastic young player, been out on loan a couple of times. He's now number two at Liverpool, which is potentially one of the biggest teams in the world. And also, Troy, we can talk about your big your your mate Harry Maguire here. You know, he's he's gone from he got you know, he got relegated from Hull. Um, you know, was taken on, went to Leicester, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, you know, so who knows? Sometimes sometimes you don't need to pay the big bucks, Troy. That's what we're trying to get. That's what we're trying to, you know, uh, steal into you. You don't uh, need to yeah. waste all the money. No, but I don't think you can call it a good, si- a great signing until you've actually seen him play. Okay, well, well, I'll rephrase that to potentially could be a very good signing. Obviously, we will we will see if things to come. We've got so much to get through that I'd love to talk about Liverpool's defence for another hour, but unfortunately, we've got a lot to get through. Um, Josh King was another one. I don't really want to brush too much over Josh King. Bottom line is he didn't want to be at Bournemouth. He's found a team that wants him. But Joe, I did want to talk to you about a uh, transfer deadline day, um, which was Ainsley Maitland-Niles leaving Arsenal to go to West Bromwich Albion. To me, from an outsider looking in, don't really follow Arsenal very much. That's a great signing for West Brom. Huge. Yeah, massive. They're very, very lucky to have him, I think. And... um... I don't think he, it, it would, definitely wasn't the first sort of plan, I think, because a couple of teams were interested in him. I know Leicester were all quite close to getting him, but we said no because um, they're sort of rivaling for the top four, like we can pretend that we can get there. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, no, huge for West Brom. And I was hoping that he at West Brom will play in midfield, which is where Aiden Niles, I think, needs to be. Um, and we can actually see the best in him because at the moment, and understandably as well, he's not getting the opportunity at Arsenal. Um, but I just don't actually really understand where you put him, to be honest. So well, that's that is the beauty or, or the curse of of Ainsley Maitland-Niles is he is very versatile. You know, uh, midfield played right back. He's played in a number of different positions. Um, can slot into a team like West Brom who need creativity and need yeah. something like that. Really great signing. Were you sad to see him go? Obviously, a loan move, innit, Joe? You might be able to yeah. do a bit more than I do. Yeah, it's a loan move till the end of the season. Um, and there was, uh, same with uh, Joe Willock went as well um, out on loan. So they're both till the end of the season, um, which is, you know, perfect. Because at the moment, there's surplus to requirements. So we don't, we might as well, you know, these young, these young players, send them out, get them some sort of uh, experience, especially... Premier League, I mean, you know, they're not moving league, which is fantastic. Um, so, yeah, potentially, really, really potentially builds character as well. You know, relegation battle, it's going yep. to take a lot of character. Working under Big Sam as well, I mean, that's going to toughen that's, anybody up, isn't it? So, it, it, it will, but there's always, um, well, there's also what I've seen some other people saying. They're like, brilliant moves, but the type of management, both teams, Willett's gone to Newcastle. Um, so both teams play very, very, very different football to Arsenal. And that's where a few people have become concerned. They're just like, he's going to be, you know, 
fantastic, but the style of play is going to be completely different to what they will have at the Emirates. But I think they're two great moves. Fantastic sign-in there. Uh, any more? Obviously, I've, I've I've put a few headlines there. Any more signings that jumped out for you in this uh, transfer window? Troy, anybody that United signed that you want to talk about? Probably not. No. <laughs> well, we just well we did bring in uh, Diallo from uh, I think it was Atlanta, um, but that that was a signing that was done in the last transfer window. But it's only been um, well, he's only come across now. Um, I think he's a good signing. He's only 18, so we'll see. We'll see how he does. He's been included in the Europa League squad, so we'll see how he does. See how we go. I like the look of uh, I like the look of William Jose at Wolves. He looks like he's yeah quite well. Um, And they for a team that needed a centre forward as well, didn't they? They were in desperate need of a centre forward. um, Obviously, with what happened with uh, Jimenez, but yeah, he's had a good couple of games, isn't he? Yeah, exactly, exactly. He um he put put Arsenal to the sword, that's for sure. <laughs> Obviously that's something that we're going to we'll move on to that slightly more. Um the, the second massive headline that that happened since we've last been on the podcast. Um we've had a we've had a departure in management at one of the big six clubs um at Chelsea. Uh Frank Lampard uh was uh dismissed quite abruptly some might say um uh, he was called in for a morning breakfast meeting uh, the players were told not to attend training um and was dismissed uh, in a half an hour breakfast meeting um was replaced by uh, Thomas Tuchel uh, who was the um former Paris Saint-Germain manager we're going to talk a little bit about Frank though first um Troy was it the right decision do you think it was do you think Frank needed to go i think with Chelsea, they we know from history that they get rid of their managers quite quickly. I think there's, there's obviously a lot of talk about who's you know who's the better one out of Frank Lampard, Arteta, and uh, and Oli. I don't think he should have gone. I think they should have given him more time. Um, I mean, they, they just gave him a, a massive war chest to go out and buy some players. He's brought in, you know, players like Zayech, Werner. Sorry, sorry. Really... Can I just, just interject there a second? I don't know how much Frank Lampard had to do with those signings so much as well, the, the higher-ups. Um, Rick, so well, I, want to come, I want to come to you for one second here. I mean, um, obviously, Joe is an Arsenal fan, so he's probably got a little bit of alliance to Arteta. Um, do you think it's fair to compare those three? So obviously you've got Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, um, you've got um, Arteta and you had Frank Lampard at Chelsea. Obviously, arguably, um, Arteta and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, if they were in the position in Chelsea, they probably wouldn't have lasted as long as they have now. Do you think it's fair to compare the three of them? And do you think that this makes Frank Lampard the failure out of those three? Well, I, th- I think they'll always they'll always get compared with each other because they they're all playing around a similar time, so it's always going to happen. But I think you know using the fact that Frank has been sacked as a as a barometer for who's the who's the better manager in a sort of long term isn't particularly useful because, as you say, I think if, if Solskjaer went through that period that he went through about six to eight months ago with United, he would have been gone under under Abramovich. Um, Definitely. Same, same with Arteta. 
if you know Arteta would would have been gone over the last yeah. six months if he was working for Abramovich. So I don't think that's fair. I think it remains to be seen who will be more successful long term. I mean, everything I've heard about Lampard is that he's a very, very intelligent man and um, and a good coach as well. So I'll be keen to to see what he does next. Uh, Joe, obviously, yeah. I mean, Frank Frank Lampard um, was you know he's, he's he's very well esteemed within the football community um do you think this is a real black mark towards his name now and do you, how, how do you recover if you're frank lampard um I, I mean it will be a black mark because he's been sacked from chelsea you know uh, they're a big club um the best thing you can do is obviously find a new club pretty soon and show what he's actually about um potentially i'd say you you probably want to look further down maybe a championship club again um just to show what you can actually do. Um, I think it would be obvious that Lampard is a good manager. The fact that he was appointed by Chelsea in the first place shows that. Um, but, yeah, I think maybe the project was too big for him at the time. I, I, it's, it's hard to say. Um, I think I had the conversation, though, with... I can't, I can't remember if it was on the pod or whether it was just um, with you guys at one point. But I did say that the only thing I found about Lampard is that I couldn't see the changes he was making at Chelsea as opposed to Ole at United or or Arteta at Arsenal. I can't actually see what Lampard brought to the table for Chelsea. Um, That's the only thing I would note from his tenure there. Do you not think he did well last year when the transfer embargo was placed on him and all those youngsters he brought in and he did very well given the circumstances then? Arguably, he did better there than he did yeah. with, the, with the 20 yeah. million worth of players. Like I said, I think he is a, I think he is a very, very good manager, but I don't think that really changed much about Chelsea's identity. Um, you know, they didn't go and and Chelsea are one of those teams that you know are in the top four, you know, all the time kind of thing. Um, and you didn't see, you, I just didn't see that change. You know, only at the moment, you know, they're close to the top of the league. You can see the identity that's changed within them. With Arsenal, Arteta, you know, until the Wolves game, I don't know what it is now, but we did have the second best defence in the league. Who, You know, Arsenal are renowned for having an awful defence. You could see what they changed, but I just didn't get that from that From an outsider looking in at the whole Chelsea situation, though, I mean, obviously we don't have any Chelsea representatives on this podcast, but talking to a couple of friends of mine who are Chelsea's fans, and from an outsider looking in, when Frank Lampard went in and he brought all the youth into the team, it was a bit of a breath of fresh air. You were beginning to see an identity to Chelsea. And and, and I think arguably the fans, I mean, would probably agree that it was it was fantastic football that was being played with some great players. Um, you have a transfer window. You spend £200 million on players. And it's almost like you take a step backwards. You you lose all the fight that you, that you have when, when you put those youngsters into the team. Um, they did take real, away. They took away what they had, and they, and maybe this is where I am wrong. And uh, Lampard maybe did have something going because you take players like Abraham and Hudson Odoi, who constantly actually show when they come on as subs what they're about. But you know he stuck with Werner again, 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 um, and yeah, it does. It do, it did bring them back. You know Havertz. People keep saying he's he had COVID, so we've got to give him a break. How long ago was that? You know, and if he has, if he's got COVID and he's struggling, don't play him. And those but, are the kind of things that draw true Chelsea back. 
so yeah so so obviously moving on to the subject of Callum Hudson Adoy new managers come in Thomas Turkle he's, he's he's completely changed the formation changed the way of playing um Callum Hudson Adoy I mean I've watched two games of Chelsea and there's one on tonight while we're recording this podcast but he's been a fantastic fantastic player for them and, and a player that Chelsea fans are screaming out to do um do you think it's a case of you got a manager or established manager like Thomas Turco into that into that club now, Troy, and he's now got the balls to turn round to a, a chairman like Abramovich and the hierarchy there to go, actually, no, I'm going to play the way I want to play. And, you know, he hasn't started Werner in the last two games. You know, it's 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 it, that's a statement in itself. Do you feel that this is a step in the right direction? Well, I think it <laughs> I think it remains to be seen, doesn't it, how how he's going to play his teams. Um, I think it's inevitable when a new manager comes in, he's going to rotate the squads to to find out his best team and to keep his players happy. Because undoubtedly, when a new manager comes in, there are those players that are on the fringe that will approach that new manager and say, look, I want to be in this team. And quite rightly, to um, you know... It, the manager will have to show that he's given all of those players a chance, which is what I think we're seeing in the first few games. Um, so I think it's too early to tell what what impact he'll have. Reese, I want to get your opinion on um, uh, obviously the new manager that's gone in there, Thomas Turkle. He's, he's, he's from PSG. Um, first time he's managed in the Premier League. Obviously, he's got credentials behind him. Um, but naturally, with every, any, any manager that comes into the, the Premier League, it's a different kind of league. It's gonna, it's, it, it could take time to, for, for him to embed himself into the Premier League. But he's walked into a club and he's openly said it in the media this week that where they're not going to give him time. Do, do, do you see that as do you see Thomas Circle almost? Do you think he's it's, it's, it's a bit of a poison chalice? Do you think that the task might be too big for before he's, he's even started? Yeah, so, I mean, my thoughts on, on Thomas Tuchel, I, I tried my best not to like him. So I was a big fan of Frank Lampard. Um, and prior to Lampard being at Chelsea, I wasn't a fan of Chelsea at all. They, they were one of the clubs that I just didn't like at all. So I thought, right, Lampard's gone. I can go back to hating Chelsea. Great stuff. Um, two comes in, and I've seen him in a couple of press conferences, and I can't help but warm up to him a little bit. Um, I think he's he's got he's Klopp got, vibes, uh, isn't he? He's got <laughs> yeah, a couple of what I would call Jurgen Klopp vibes. Um, he's quite <laughs> amicable with the uh, with the um, with the pundits and with where I was interviewing him. He seems to be quite forthcoming with uh, you know with his answers as opposed to like your your Jose's or your Peps who. Will uh, will make things as awkward as possible. Um, so yeah, I'm warming up to him as a, as a as a person, as a as a coach. I I don't really know. I mean, like you say, he was a he was a PSG. How can you not do well in that job? Um, he was at Dortmund prior to that, and yeah, he was okay. Um, so yeah, it's it's a difficult one. I, I don't know. I'm reserving judgment until. The, uh, Thomas Turkle's got, gone into that position. He's been given an 18-month contract. Um, quite short in comparison to what a lot of managers in the top six have signed. Um, 
do you think that's just standard Chelsea or do you think that's 18 months that's that show us what you've got I mean you never know with Chelsea he could be out of the job in a month's time but do you think that's a statement or do you think there's there's not a lot you can read into that um I don't think there's a whole lot I mean it's probably more just the Chelsea way of doing things isn't it they love getting rid of their managers um it's quite obvious that managers need time um to sort out their way of playing um, so it's a bit, bit of an odd one, actually, that they're giving him such a short contract. It's almost like they don't want him to sort out. They want the quick turn fix to look to appoint someone else soon kind of thing, which I find a bit odd. Um, so, yeah, it's a bit of a bit of a strange decision to give him a, a year and a half to try and sort out that Chelsea team when there's obvious issues that are occurring. Honest, anything you make fair. of that? Any, yeah, Reese. Sorry, I was just, just going to say, I think it's almost Chelsea learning from their own mistakes and sinking into their own way of doing things and just accepting they're not going to give their managers time anymore. And so instead of giving them this five-year contract, they have to buy out after 18 months. As I, was about to say, I, was about, I was about to say, is it the payouts? Is it the fact exactly. that they've, you know, Lampard's another manager that they've had to buy out of their contract? Is it a fact that... Oh God, we'll give him 18 months because it's less money that we've got to pay out yeah, when I we inevitably sack him. But that's the, that's the backwards way of doing it. Period, I think almost like a probation period and then he'll get an extension if, if he's doing what uh, what they want him to do. But Joe, you are right. It's a backwards way of doing things, isn't it? It's backwards, yeah. And it's also like they should almost be kind of happy that Tuchel's taken the job because if you're a manager coming in, you're saying, oh, so actually you don't trust me to, to turn this around. You're only going to keep me on for 18 months because you're scared. You know, I'm going to get sacked after that. You know, you wouldn't take the job as a football manager, would you? You want to be there for years. You want to be that guy. Well, he has. So maybe, maybe that's worth talking about. Why, why has he accepted Yeah, that, well, that's what I mean. It's, 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 a, it's a strange one. And you're right. Obviously, they've got to do these buyouts. All depends it would on... probably all, help if they kept their manager. All depends on your mentality, though, because you could see it from a negative perspective and think, well, they've only given me 18 months. I might not last long here. I'm going to see how it goes. Alternatively, if you're a, if you're a bit if you've got a bit of balls about you, you might turn around and go, well, you give me 18 months. I'm going to show you in those 18 months that actually you need to be I, I'm here for the long term. You know, perhaps maybe that's why he's accepted the contract. You know, he, like you know like Reese said he, he comes across as a very likable very very passionate guy um but obviously if it was a trial Troy do you think it would be you know do you think it would have been more sensible for Abramovich and you're probably the most Abramovich out of the four of us you know quite cutthroat um <laughs> <laughs> Troy Troy do you think it would have been it would have made more sense to turn around to someone like Thomas Turkle and go you've got to the end of the season show me what you've got well if it was, if it was that extreme I, I don't think Tucker would have taken the job. I think, I think you're, I think everyone's right in 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 terms of giving someone an 18 month contract is as much about protecting Chelsea and their finances um, as, as anything else. I think Tucker obviously does rate himself; otherwise, he wouldn't have signed on that contract. Uh, we're so. gonna we're gonna we're gonna move swiftly on, and I tell you what, this is 
I feel like Nick Grimshaw and like Philip Schofield. Like this is this is quality presenting skills that I'm gonna segue into the next topic. So we're talking about a chairman who doesn't give their managers um, time. I want want to talk a little bit about the other end of the table um, and um, an owner that's come out. Uh, he spoke exclusively to Talk Sport in the week um, regarding Chris Wilder at Sheffield United. The Sheffield United owners have come out and publicly said that they will stand by Chris Wilder even if Sheffield United go down. Um, obviously, they trust in the manager. They trust in the way things are working. Um, Reese, what do you make of that? Um, difficult one because my immediate reaction is completely contrary to everything I've been saying about Chelsea because I don't think the owner should be coming out and saying that I think it disincentivizes um, Chris Wilder to actually give his team a kick up the arse um, and it's basically given him free reign to do whatever he wants um, you know and and just happily go about his business even if they're doing dire for me that's it's a conversation that should potentially happen behind closed doors um but to come out and publicly say it i just i it doesn't sit well with me you know what? that's a, that's a really really good point actually it's a completely different way that i was thinking about it when i when i heard about the situation i thought here actually that's 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 actually really refreshing because the fans now know that they you know the situation um troy what do you make of it well i disagree with what reese said about it um uh, about chris wilder because at the end of the day he's a, prof- he's a professional manager he's not gonna rest he's not gonna be happy with the fact sheffield where they are regardless of whether the chairman's come out and said oh we'll we'll keep you on regardless no but the he, premier league's fine he will, want, he will want he will want to keep them up he's Regardless of whether the chairman said that or not, he's still going to have that same drive. Because yeah, but it's, it's about percentages. It's you know, it's about getting that extra one, two percent. That's all it takes in the Premier League. So, you know, you sometimes you need that kick up the arse. You need that extra motivation, even though yes, you're a professional. You go. You're the manager. You can... He will be doing that. Yeah, exactly. Yes. If so he wants to be an effective manager, he will be doing yeah. that, regardless of whether the chairman is backing him in public or not. Until Reese, until Reese said that tonight, I was completely with you, Troy. But you are right. Is it, you know, a manager or not a manager? Is it in your human nature that if you're not winning and you, you know, you're thinking, Christ, I'm doing everything that I can to try and get results out of these clubs? Do you wake up in the morning and think, oh well, I've got job security, so pff, I'll do what I can do? Or do you no. not think? Joe, yeah, we'll get your opinion on it. Do you, do you, I, do you, I think you've got to have a totally different mindset. If you're a Premier League manager, you're 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 not going to have that mindset. Your mindset is going to be, I want to be doing the very best. Thanks for that, Joe. Um, <laughs> <laughs> let's go. Let's go to the real Joe now. Joe, what do you make of it? <laughs> Hi, I'm the real Joe. Um, <laughs> I think that it's kind of a good thing, to be honest. Um, I wouldn't have necessarily done it as publicly, um, but the if you if you stick as a team and that's you know stand by the manager which they've done, and you stick as a team, 
I think that's where you do get because it's all you know football is all about teamwork that's what it is they've come out you know they've said right we're with Wilder um this is what it's going to be and you know they have got a few results recently you know they've gone from what one point to 11 out of nowhere um and and I think actually it's probably going to be a bit of a boost for a team like Sheffield United and I think that's going I'll take I'll take it from a perspective where I'm sitting. Obviously, I know you know I, I, I'm impartial in, in in these podcasts, but you know as as an AFC Bournemouth fan down in the Championship, obviously Jason Tindall's been dismissed this week. Um, as a fan, and you know we are football fans, um, it's very easy to turn on Twitter and social media down the pub when we're allowed to to go. Chris Wilder out. Chris Wilder out. Chris Wilder out. When I sat here and listened to the to the interview, I thought to myself, fair play. That fan base now knows there's no point turning on the manager because the the, the club hasn't. Yeah. Chris Wilder also knows that he's that he's safe regardless of whether he he gets stone dead last in the Premier League or if he saves him by a hair. There's you know it doesn't sit well with me that they've come out and publicly backed him. You don't need to be saying you don't need to hang an axe over his head. But you, but you don't need. You, there needs to be an incentive to do better than you are currently. But do I you mean, not the think- incentive. The incentive is the chairman backing him in public. If I'm that, if I'm the manager, and my and I'm doing it, and and we're, I'm trying everything I can to get my team out of the, out of the mire. And in the back of my mind, I'm thinking we're doing really bad here. I, my job is on the line. If my chairman and my boss then comes out in public and backs me. That's going to be what kicks me up you're the arm. You get in your armchair after that. Happy no. days. I'm, I'm no, that's, that's, you wouldn't that's, know. Your, that's not the right mindset to have. That should be kicking you right up the arse. And you're thinking, right, yes, I've got this backing, even though we are where we are. I'm going to make I, sure I repay, I repay my boss. I repay this company, this club. And yeah, and I think the very best to get them out of this. Big thing about a that's manager as well is it's not about keeping your job or losing it there is so many other things that you have to think about you know higher up the league more more money you get in at the end of the season um whether you're bringing in players these are all incentives for a manager to do well i just want to talk about chris wilder's personality you know and 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 this does naturally come down to you know we there are managers that that wouldn't have had that backing from their chairman but chris wilder i mean here's a manager that 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 you know, a year ago or six months ago, came into the Premier League with the with the the whole world thinking they ain't gonna last long. They're a one season. They you know they'll be up, they'll be down, and they had a cracking season. They had an absolutely fantastic season. So doesn't that doesn't that play to the favour of of Chris Wilder's character? That actually the the whole country is against me. The whole country thinks I'm gonna go down in in, in one season. And he proved them all wrong. So, you know, the character of Chris Wilder clearly shows that he's not, he is a fighter, wouldn't you say, Reese? Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Um, and look, I'm not, I'm not sat here saying that the chairman should have come out and said, you're getting sacked if you, if you don't buck your ideas up. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying that you just, you shouldn't be having those conversations at all. You should just let it rest as it is. Let Chris Wilder draw his own conclusions and let that motivate him. Because the the whole point that, that, that Troy and Joe are saying where, OK, you've got all these other incentives. Yes, sure. But so does every other manager in the Premier League. If you if you have in the back of your head that actually if I don't do something different, 
then I might get set. That might be the extra half a percent that you need to get yourself going and to change something, even if it is just something small, and get your team going again. But apply, but apply the logic to Chelsea, right? And they come out and say we're backing with Lampard for another, at least a you know a year and a half. You know we're going to back with him. And again, you know, I guarantee that results will start to come for Chelsea. It's and the same kind of thing. Yeah. If you back your manager, you know that's going to be your manager. You know that this is going to be the way you're going to play because that's how that manager likes well, football. Chelsea aren't in a relegation scrap. They're not. No, but they are in a scrap. But they're not. They they're not performing four. to their ability, are they? A club like Chelsea needs top four, don't they? Mm. And if they don't get it, what, like, what I'm saying is that a club like Chelsea, they can afford to give someone time because they're stable within, you know, within the league structure. Whereas Sheffield United. If they go down, you know, they could end up doing a Portsmouth, doing a doing a Bolton, whatever, and just hitting rock bottom. Like they need they need that momentum. They need someone to change something now so that things don't just keep getting worse. Chelsea are never gonna get relegated if they give if they gave Lampard another year. They would have been no. fine. And it's probably in argument's sake of what they should have done. Again, this is another subject that we can't talk about all night. Um I'm gonna This episode of the Premier League Fan Podcast is sponsored by our podcast provider, Anchor. Now, Anchor is a free app that you can download on your iPhone or iPad or any of your mobile phones. It is free to use and it has everything you need to create your own podcast. Now, trust me, if the four of us idiots can use it, anyone can use it. It's so easy. Go to Anchor FM to start your podcast today. Now, sit back and enjoy the Premier League Fan Podcast. We're going to uh, we're going to move on now to um, uh, again. Philip Schofield is going to be shitting himself because I'm about to link into another manager that has been backed by his board um, for the second time in a year. His team has lost. 9-0, the biggest defeat by a Premier League team. Uh, in the week, um, this is where Troy comes into his own, and I'm sure the grumpy bastard that is Troy might even crack a smile now, uh, as we are about to talk about Manchester United versus Southampton in the week. Um, obviously, two red cards, but a 9-0 win. Let's get your initial thoughts on that, Troy. Well, it's obviously a fantastic result, isn't it? I thought, um, obviously, the first red card completely, obviously set the scene for it. And it was an awful challenge. Um, and it, I thought it was good that that we picked up the pace and we, we, challenged, we challenged the Southampton players from the off, really, because you see it so many times where a, player, a, a team goes down to 10 men and they, they really tighten up and they're, they're hard to break down. Um, so it's good that, you know, we were able to, to break them down so easily throughout, you know, the the match. Joe, what Joe, I would say... Go on. I was, was going to say, what I would say is that the second red card was a, an absolute joke. It, it was it was a joke. We'll move on to the we'll move on to the red cards in a minute because that's going to link on to the next game that we want to talk about. But um, 
Joe, I want to get your opinion on this. So in the week, Dwight York has come out and said that the fact that Manchester United did not slow up and continued to push and continued to get nine goals shows that there is a spirit about that team that could go on and win the Premier League. What do you make of that comment? Um, I mean, <laughs> yeah, maybe. Um, also, the fact that they, you know, finished the game against nine men probably helps. Um, you can go on and score nine goals. I mean, Leicester did the same thing, you know, and they didn't win the league. Um, so it, it just, well, they're not winning the league. You know what I mean? But it's, um, of course, it's great. You know, they carried on pushing, you know, more and more goals. But there's also, you know, Southampton probably gave up at that point. And they're thinking, well, you know, we've got nine men with however many goals down. And I think there's a bit of both. I mean, there's no denying that Manchester United are on a very, very good run. Um, and they're at the top of the Prem. And, and there's a chance that they could win it. I think their squad's very good at the moment. Pogba seems to have turned it on, um, which is helping. Um, but it's hard to say something like that when they've just come off the most boring draw I, against Arsenal. Can I just say, we were 7-0 up by the time... You know, by the time Southampton went down to nine. But you're against ten, thing. you know. Like you're still you're still a man down and like, But how many I, other teams how many other teams do you know that get beaten nine nil when going down to ten men? Well, I know that Southampton got beaten nine nil by going down to eleven men. It doesn't happen. Well, it did this season. <laughs> I'll turn, that was the that was the end of last year. Last. But oh, it was the end of last year. Yeah, I mean, alternatively, it, you know, it, 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 I mean, Troy. I, mean, I hate to say it, but Troy is right. Sometimes when you lose a man, it does become harder because they become more compact. They play a different game. Um, Reese, what did you make of the whole situation? And what do you make of those comments that thrashing a nine-man Southampton suddenly gives them the 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 the, the balls to be a, a a championship winning team? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I'd like to laugh at that comment, but it's difficult to with United in the position that they are. Exactly. Um, so hey, I, I think there might be something in it. Um, you know, I, I do agree with what Joe was saying in that beating Southampton 9-0 doesn't necessarily mean anything. Let's, you know, Liverpool just this season beat Crystal Palace 7-0 and then went on a barren run for... What was it? Four draws, I think it was after that. Yeah. Maybe, maybe they won seven two. Draws Are they on a title? It wasn't, it wasn't seven nil. Sorry, <laughs> it wasn't seven nil, Reese. Apparently, what do you mean? was it? I think it was seven nil, wasn't it? Seven nil at Crystal Palace. Really Crystal Palace seven nil. Oh, oh, sorry, I was thinking. Of, I, was, I was thinking of Aston. I was thinking of Aston Villa beating Liverpool. No, still that was seven two, but they're not a point. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Luke's trying mean. to join the call. No, he is. <laughs> <laughs> no, you are right. And obviously, and obviously, last season, uh, Leicester beat Southampton nine nil. Um, you know, Hassan Hall was, you know devastated and and it was what a situation but Leicester didn't go on and win the league you know Leicester you know, I don't think Liverpool. it's an indication I don't think it's a good indication of, of anything it, you know there's there's 16 more games left to play and they'll be you know that that will be the telling factor as to yeah I can see the United this, season, this, not the one nine nil against Southampton yeah but it's, what, it's odd that those comments have come out after like I said a really boring draw to Arsenal and then the game before I forgot you, you lost to Sheffield United but now that you've shipped nine goals, you can challenge for the title again. It's just 
I so think that's, the, that's reason, talk. the reason we can challenge for the title isn't because we won 9-0. It's but that's what the comments have said. Weird. I know, yeah. You, I, and I, I, <laughs> again, I, don't agree with that. I don't agree with that. But what, I, but what I do think is we can challenge for the title because of where we are in the league. Well, I agree with that, but that was never part of the conversation before. No, but obviously they, these were just comments that Dwight York has come out and said. Um, Reese, I want to talk a little bit about Liverpool's form while we're on the subject of um, winning the league. Oh, and I know I know it pains you, but yeah, um, really disappointing form. They they've they've yet to they haven't scored um, a goal at home in the last three games. They've lost the last two. Obviously, they're in a situation where they're having a makeshift make make, well they they have a different defence every game Um, and you would expect a team like that to be hemorrhaging goals at the back but that's not what they're that's that's not the issue the issue is struggling to score goals what what what, what's happening with with the Liverpool team in your opinion yeah so I think you know this this isn't a hot take by any means I don't think but um what what's happening in my opinion is that Liverpool are sacrificing so much from their midfield to patch up that defence that the supply lines forward just aren't where they used to be. I think there's there's two factors at play. You've got Fabinho and Henderson um, who are no longer creating anything, you know, for the for the forwards. You've also got wing backs who have less faith in the the defence as a unit and so they won't bomb forwards as much anymore or play the same game as they as they would do normally and I think both of those things have really um, you know really cut off all of Liverpool's creativity Thiago was seen as an option but um, you know as, as a solution to that but I don't think we can rely on him to do it all by himself I think we're also missing Jota quite a lot because there doesn't seem to be any incentive for um, the front three to to really kick onto the levels that they have been. Um, and yeah, I, I just think we're, we're not struggling defensively, but we're still struggling because of the defensive problems that we've got. Um, on this podcast, a number of times, Reese, I know you're a sort of flying visitor on these things, but we've often talked about the squad depth of Liverpool, and that was always going to be their undoing. They had a positive year last year with, uh, you know, they had minimal injuries. This year, they've, you know, they've been really crippled with injuries. Is that squad depth still a problem? And do you think it's it, it's been the the, the yeah. making of the demise, really? Yeah, absolutely. I mean people were calling out as soon as as soon as Van Dyke got injured um people were calling out for a for another central defender um you know Klopp consistently said that they weren't going to bring one in it took another uh three defenders or defenders in uh quotation marks I should say another three defenders getting injured before um they eventually decided to open the wallet even then I don't I don't think that the class of defender they've got is um, is enough to to plug the hole. I think they're players who will need development time rather than being thrown straight in as a as a plaster. Um, but yeah, I think we've been massively. There's there's two things. Yes, the squad depth isn't good enough, but B, it's an unprecedented level of of injury crisis. Um, you know the the amount of injuries that Liverpool have had in such a short space of time. Nobody could really legislate for. I don't. Think. Came, Klopp came out in Sorry. the week and got Troy. You can carry on. So, so I was just going to say, there's a, a crazy stat that is, 
it's just mind-boggling when you think of Liverpool, is that in the last seven games against the bottom six, they've only won once. So if I, if I could if I could interject there, that might be mind-boggling in in terms of Liverpool the last couple of years. But if I could cast everyone's mind back to Liverpool of 2015, 16, 17, even that was a consistent problem. Liverpool could always bring it out against the top four, the top six teams, and play really well. I remember especially um, the the season where Liverpool were challenging and lost due to Gerrard's slip. I think that was 2016 season. Um, Just to interrupt, but but that yeah, that that necessarily wasn't the demise though, was it, Reese? It was it was the next game where they had to win at Crystal Palace. Am I right? Yeah, Am I right in thinking? So this, yeah, you're right. And yes, yeah, so th- what I'm saying is that throughout that whole season, this was an issue where Liverpool couldn't do it against the quote-unquote smaller teams. They could always bring it out the bag for the bigger teams. So this isn't a new issue. It's, it's new, new-ish in terms of its resurfaced, but it has been a problem for us before. Do you think that's a case of, Joe, and obviously you're an outsider looking in, jo- Joe, do you think this is a situation where the amount of, and obviously, Reese, you can jump in in a second, um, the amount of games that Liverpool have to play, obviously, they're still in. Um, uh, they're still in the FA Cup race. I think they are, aren't they? No. Oh, they're out no, there. We knocked them out. <laughs> oh yeah, of course. You know, you know, you know. But the the vast amount of games that are coming thick and fast. Do you think it's a case of you have a team that's in the bottom six and you think, right, I'm, I'm going to have to switch this up now. I'm going to have to put in Shakiri and Origi instead of putting in Salah and, and Firmino. Do you think that could be contributing to it? Joe, I mean, we'll get your opinion in a minute, Reese. I just think, uh, yeah, it will play a part, obviously. They're playing a hell of a lot of games in a short period of time. I think Klopp lots using it as an excuse. He came out at whatever time it was and said, you know, we're playing too many games and all of this. My players aren't being rested. The next game, I'm pretty sure he didn't make a single substitution. Um, in the game um, I think it is an excuse that Klopp loves to use I think he used it again against Brighton I saw in the headlines Klopp blames fatigue um, I mean that's that's. I know they've got injuries but a lot of that is down to Liverpool's own fault if you're not going to get the backup players that can do a job then then that's going to be the problem that you have and that's why you do have you know people play their their cup teams they play that that's the thing that everyone does Reese, I can I can see you twitching there. Do you want to jump in at any point? But I mean, the, the only thing that I that I would say because I do largely agree with Joe in that I, I don't I don't think you can blame fixture congestion for anything. It's the same for you know for X amount of teams for United for City whoever it is. What I will say though is that you definitely can blame injuries. You know, you look at you look at someone like United if if they had Maguire Lindelof by um, two and Zabi all out injured, you know, and they've and they're having to play guys from from the under twenty ones. You haven't mentioned it? McTominay. But, <laughs> yeah, but the issue is the issue is that United probably would have brought a centre back. United so, probably would have brought a centre back. Is that what you said, Joe? Yeah. Yeah, they probably would have done. Yeah, that's very true. You can't yeah. you can't sit there and blame the injuries. And yes, they've been very unfortunate. But you can't sit there and blame the injuries and then not buy anyone and say, oh, it'd be fine, we'll plug the gap. And then get annoyed that you've had to plug the gap with your midfielders via centre-back. 
it has been a situation though, Reese, where it took for, I think Mati- uh, John Matif is now out for the rest of the season. It took for that to happen for them to go, we'll buy these two centre-backs. Is that too little too late, do you think? Me, definitely, yes. I mean, mm. I, I 100% agree with, with what Joe's saying. I think we should have been um, more serious about buying higher quality centre-backs. I think, I, I don't know, someone might have, be able to correct me on this, but I think Upamecano um, has yeah. a 43 million, million euro release clause. I don't understand why why we're not going in for someone like that yeah. and just paying that money and, and getting someone who's proven and using them rather than trying to develop, you know, 2020. I know it's Liverpool's model, but <laughs> surely for a short term fix, you need someone who can who's proven and can do the job. I'll tell you, I'll tell you what I did find. And I, I genuinely believe and this is going to sound awful for me, could have been good for you guys. Is don't play Mustafi. Mustafi. Why no, would you not go for Mustafi? You've got such a controlled team around him that he would have been, but he was free. He was free. Mustafi is one of the worst central defenders I've ever seen. <laughs> I think I think that is completely untrue. He's one of world. Wow. <laughs> wow. Do you, do you really think, Joe, that if you'd have put Mustafi in that Liverpool team compared to him in that? Arsenal team, he'd have been a different player. Oh, 100%. It's a big statement. A big, but you big, think big... about it, but he was picked in the Germany team, you know, and, and it's when you've got a stable base around a player like, we've seen what he can do. But Liverpool brought in is neither have Premier League experience. You know. What... It's um, an interesting one, for sure. It is an interesting one. a viable option that potentially they could have gone for, who is so experienced he's played in you know that germany world cup winning team you know that is a good player to have around especially for the younger people before um before we move on to uh, uh a, a massive discussion about red cards and var <laughs> which are coming um i i just i want one uh, i'm gonna ask each of you a question um and i, I just i don't want a conversation i just want one line um I'm, I'm going to ask you two questions, Reese, because, you, you know, you are a guest. First question, Reese: um, Are Liverpool going to win the league? No. OK. Second question. Who is going to win the league? Manchester City. I don't think they'll even be much of a race. I think they'll leave United behind. Troy, who's winning the Premier League this season? City. Wow. Joe, who's winning the Premier League? Manchester City. And I agree. I think it's. I think it is going to be City's year. They've got some games in hand, but um, but yeah, we'll we'll move on there from the title race. We're going to talk. Uh, we're going to talk um about our good old friend who we seem to be talking about all the time. Um, Joe, I know Joe is chomping at the bit to discuss it. Wolves versus Arsenal. Um, oh. <laughs> uh, at the Molyneux during the week. Um, two red cards. We're going to start, Joe. I just want to talk about Arsenal's discipline record. Two yeah. red cards. Um, the high, they got the most red cards in the league. Um, what's your What's your initial thought on that? In general, um, it's it's tough to say. I think a lot of them have been justified, um, and that's a shame. I think there are examples of red cards that definitely aren't justified. Um, 
so it, it's tough. I mean, yes, there's been some silly mistakes in there. You think to the Pepe one, you think Leno against Wolves. They're just stupid red cards and completely deserved. Um, obviously, there's the obvious one, which I, I imagine we're about to discuss. Yeah, we're about to discuss. I just want to quickly jump back a second, because one thing we forgot to mention was um, was uh, the the uh, Martial incident in the uh, Manchester United versus Southampton game. Uh, Troy, um, sending, off, uh, sending off late in the game... Um, Am I right in thinking that Marshall even admitted, actually, I don't think that should have been a red? What, what did you make of that situation? Well, it was, a, it was a ridiculous... It was a ridiculous... It was a ridiculous sending off. I don't even think it should have been a penalty. Um, but I suppose once the, once the referee gives the penalty, it's the same, it's the same story as the David Luiz. He, mm. he doesn't try and play the ball. Therefore... The referee's constraint. Then he has to he has to give a red card as by law. But let's 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 jump over to this. You know we're jumping backwards and forwards between Manchester and Wolverhampton here. And it's the same um, with David Luiz. Yeah. So we talk about David Luiz. Joe, what did you make? What did you make of that red card? <laughs> um, I mean, it's it's for me at least. It's just definitely not a red card. Um, I just don't understand the contact that was made was the Wolves player taking a shot and his, I think his studs have tapped Louise's knee as he's deliberately obviously not, interfe- you know, he's not interfering with the, he's running. And, you know, you think about it and if I'm in the box and I just decide to lean forward and stick my leg backwards and I touch someone, can I now just jump on the floor? Because Louise hasn't made a tackle has he stopped a goal-scoring opportunity? Yes, in theory he has, out of no fault of his own. Maybe penalty deserved. I don't understand how you can give a red card for it, um, especially with the laws, which I'll quickly. I don't know if you've got it planned, Chris, but I'll quickly jump into. Yeah, I mean, I've got, I've got the, I've got the rules written down. I mean, I, I'll, I'll get, I'll, I'll read them out here. Um, uh, if you, if, 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 if I've got something wrong, Joe, I'm sure you've got it memorised over the last <laughs> few days. But um, so, so. Uh, there, there was all this talk about triple jeopardy and double jeopardy. So uh, the, the law change. By the way, I'm missing Tom Peach today. Tom Peach is usually my go-to guy when it comes to the rule book. So I've had to do some research. Tom, come back soon, please, because I'm not good at researching these rules. Um, but it was previously called triple jeopardy and changed in 2017. Um, basically, um, the rule... Um, states that if a goal scoring chance is conceded then a referee is frowned upon to give a penalty and a red card simultaneously for it being double jeopardy is that have you got anything different to that joe no that's it's it's basically around that but it does go into a bit more detail of basically how you can give the red because there needs to be basically intent to play the ball um, and and things and this is why Louise got sent off because they said that there was no intention to play the ball and then fouled the player and this is and it, I tell you what watching it I was I know I was messaging you guys but I was so angry listening to BT Sport because they went over to their their you know their referee Peter Walton who said that Louise needs to learn because it's not the first time that he hasn't tried to make a tackle 
And they said that instead, he basically needs to wipe out the player, pretend like he's getting the ball so that he gets a yellow card. And I cannot believe... That's what that it's coming to. I cannot believe you can sit there as pundits and say that actually we want him to take out the player so that he gets a yellow and he should have learned that by now. Which That's goes, what you have to do. But that goes completely against the game. And it that is, and it's disgusting. Like, that is awful. It's like saying, yeah. you know, I don't really know how to... to so I wasn't I wasn't listening to that I just want to I just want to recap on that a second just so that the one listener can have a bit of context um but um so the the punditry team on Scott on BT Sports said that if he'd have lunged in and at least made an attempt to play the ball it would have been a yellow card because he pulled out because uh, you know I think we can all sit here and say that because he pulled out it limits the intention to play the ball, the, the issue which makes it red. He didn't even pull out. He didn't make a challenge at all. He right. was just running. The and, then because, and because he went for a shot, David Luiz was the same distance away from him the entire time, but because he went for a shot, his leg went further back than when you're running because he, you know, went for the shot, went backwards to start. Clicked David Luiz's knee in doing so and went over um which when you think about it is just as as was said on bt sport the the, the the other day as a defender you now have to you can't not make a challenge now you have to make a challenge and properly take the player out make it look like you're at least trying to get the ball just so you don't get sent off oh, one thing i one thing that i found the Lord wrong one thing right. that i found, one thing that i found very interesting was a lot of people on Twitter, I know we discussed it privately, um, and, and I, 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 the, the, some pundits may have even said it in the week, that you could see Mike Dean did not want to give that red card. No. I mean, I don't, he, he didn't want to give it, but in a world where you've got almost an identical challenge in that game than you had in the previous game, as a referee, you have to give it. Because if you know at Sopley Park, they're all at the same place. And do you think there's an element of them saying, "I want to get Reese's opinion," because Reese has been very quiet here, and you know he's been taking it all in. Reese, do you think there's a certain level of right? We've given it in the previous match. We're gonna to have to give it in this one. Yeah, definitely. I think I think there's definitely an element of that. But I mean, my take on the on the situation as a whole is that you know by the letter of the law both of them were were probably red cards i don't agree with that law um but that you know that's that's the way it is what what boggles my mind and i'm sure we're going to come on to this in in just a moment is that they've then rescinded one for bednarek mm. and left david louise as a as a red card when they had <laughs> Before we get before we get onto this, and I, I probably think this is the first time that me and Troy, when it comes to a Manchester United decision, have seen differently, um, and in this way, um, I know Troy, you openly said, you know, to us privately that shouldn't have been a red card. I was the other way around. I saw it, and I thought I saw the contact, you know, and obviously everything looks so much more dramatised in, in in slow motion. There, we're, we're we're living in a world where any contact that doesn't have the ball in the penalty area is a penalty. Subsequently, if, think... you, if you had no intention to play the ball, it's going to be a red. I could, uh, don't, I, I, I agree with Reese. 
I don't agree with it, but I can see why it was given. That's that's where my head was with this. I I, I don't agree with that. Like is I, I I think I think the two tackles are similar. I don't think they're identical. I think the reason I think one of the probably the main reason why uh, Bednarak's red card was rescinded is because he physically retracted away from Martial and there was very minimal contact. Um, whereas in David Luiz's case, yes, that there was there was obviously a bit more contact. Um, so I, I guess my opinion here, just quickly, that part of the reason Bednarek's got rescinded is because Martial quite obviously dived as well. Whereas yeah, exactly. I think, um, the the Arsenal one is slightly different in that it wasn't a it wasn't a dive. You know, the, the guy went down as a result of the contact, which you know yeah. wasn't. Yeah. A dive, whereas Martial quite clearly, tra- you know, dragged his legs, went down yeah. under no contact, anticipating the contact, and so I think yeah. that's why the decision was made to rescind exactly. that. Having said that, I think both of them should have been rescinded. If if you're going to do one, agreed. Oh yeah. But by the yeah, I agree. The funny thing is as well that Martial will escape any form of punishment for blatantly diving in the match as well. Yeah. I know I know it doesn't matter too much. You know, United was six 0 up. It probably would have been a yellow, you know, deception of the referee is a yellow for a dive. Um but there will be nothing done about that. Um and the worst part of it all is that Kavir looked at that and decided that that decision was going to stick. Which isn't going to discourage players from simulating contact. It's not going to do it. Is it clear and obvious? That's that's the thing. They have rescinded it, so they find it clear and obvious enough to overturn the decision. So why wasn't that made on the day? That's that, and this, and this, this is, you know, I think, I think the pundits on Sky Sports. uh, Is it a situation? Is it a situation where? Obviously, they've called. We'll go to Mike Dean. So you've called Mike Dean over to the screen. They've said to Mike Dean, "Have a look at this. There's something. You know, you need to have a quick look. Look at this again." Is it, is it a situation where the person in Sotley Park hasn't got the bollocks to turn around to Mike Dean and gone, "Actually, I think you need to look at this again," or is it a situation well, where? I think. Well, I think. I think in 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 the in the United games case with Mike Dean, the VAR. And Mike Dean weren't looking at whether it was a penalty or not, right? Because Mike Dean had given it. I think what they were looking at is whether it was a red card offence. Um, and they obviously yeah. decided at the time that if it's a penalty, that now the now the look is whether or not he tried to play the ball, mm. which the, Mike Dean looked at it and rightly decided he didn't try and play the ball, so had to give a red card, but. The penalty shouldn't have stood in the first place. I do want to make... They obviously weren't looking at that, were they? They were looking at whether it was a red card or not. I do want to make one comparison, and I've seen it on... Uh, I saw it on social media, and I looked it up because I didn't remember it. Um, but it's just in relation to this. Obviously, you say the rules came in 2017. I can't remember when the game was, but Arsenal played Chelsea, and it finished 2 all, and David Luiz got sent off again. And in this, David Luiz, it was a penalty, went for the ball, missed it, got the player, it was a penalty and he got sent off. The, the, the rule has changed from triple jeopardy to double jeopardy. So before, so Tom Tom actually uh, was very spot on when we were talking about this privately. Triple jeopardy is about the suspension. 
So they've taken the whole suspension element out of it and they're just talking about the incidents that have happened on the pitch. Um, so yeah, but surely that's, that's still, surely that's still a sense. He would have, you know, both times they're going to serve their suspensions, both got reds, both were penalties. Yeah. Well, uh, well, it was all it was all brought yeah. in to protect the goalkeeper, wasn't it? It was originally, yeah. Um, yeah. But it just, I mean, yeah. For I think the rule is is ridiculous. I'm honest, honestly, I think there's something fishy about it. Um, it really does start to feel like there are agendas. Um, oh, completely honestly, <laughs> yeah. do you genuinely believe that there there is nothing going on there? Like it's seriously, not VR, VR, not. How absolutely how can not. you not remotely pretend to see that? That is laughable that you think I, there's an agenda. Yeah, but you'd probably that. say that as a United fan, wouldn't you? Because all the, all the decisions go for you. <laughs> I think what you're doing is you're, is you're getting mixed up between there being an agenda and there just being a general overarching incompetence with the with the refereeing of the whole of the FA. I'm just saying it's quite problem. classic that, you know, a decision like that going for United, you know, as opposed to... Yeah, as much as I hate, as much as I hate to admit it, there's shocking decisions up and down the yeah. Premier League. You yeah, know, look yeah. at the look at look at the Villa game the other day. It was it was ruled out because um, is it John McGinn's ass was offside or something? You know, there's there's <laughs> up, there's, up, there's there's absolutely shocking decisions up and down. The whole thing needs to be completely renewed because yeah, you know it's it, it, it's take. I mean, don't get me wrong, I love it because it gives us content to talk about on this podcast, but it's taking out the enjoyment of the game. Do you know what I mean? And the game, I, and, the game and, is I, and I I feel for defenders at this point. You know. You're in a I see defenders who now defend a ball like like this with their hands behind their back, you know, because they're petrified to get their hands involved. Um, yeah, I just I, I think it's I think it's you know, and again, this is another subject that we could go on um, for a long time. We're gonna have to wrap this up now, guys. I think we've done very well keeping in the time restraints. Anybody got anything else? Any pressing things they want to bring up before we go? All good, Martin. No. All good. Well, I want to thank you, Reese, for joining us. Uh, hopefully, uh, you can come and join us uh, a, 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 another time. Yeah. Joe, Troy, as always, I want to thank you for joining me. Thank you for having us, as always. No problem. Um, we're going to leave it there. We'll see you again um, the next time we decide to get together. Uh, but thank you for listening. Ciao. Well, look at you. You made it to the end of the podcast. Well done. You are a hero among men and women. It's 2021 after all. Um, Thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Premier League Fan Podcast. We will be back again shortly. Keep an eye on our social media at PL Fan Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. all the information of our next episode will all be on there we're also on youtube as well again at pl fan podcast you can listen to clips of this episode and previous episodes on there um and lastly my last plug of the day before i let you go on and live your life um if you want to join in the conversation if you have anything you'd like us to discuss or any opinions that you want to share with us 
then please drop us an email it is plfanpod at gmail.com we will see you again and thank you again for joining us